The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. Morning, church. How are we? It's great to see uh, some of you I hadn't seen in a year, so welcome back. <laughs> really, really thankful that you are here, and uh, if you're new with us or uh, new online, my name's Brian, I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm really thankful that you would take time out of your schedule uh, to join us this morning. Um, we have been studying the book of Acts, and so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, uh, this, the lyrics, or, sorry, the lyrics, the words will be up on the screen, um, but... It's always better if you have a copy of the Word with you, uh, whether digital or analog. Um, So we've been studying the book of Acts. And what I told you when we started this was the book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles, right? These sent ones by Jesus. uh, It it kind of is an explanation of what it looks like when, when the power of God is unleashed through His people, the church. And so, so far, we're we're early on into the book, but so far, here's what we've seen. Jesus is God. He lives without sin. He dies in our place as a substitute for our sins. He is really crucified. He's really dead. He's really buried. And then three days later, he rises from death, conquering our enemies of sin, death, and hell for us. He appears to hundreds over the course of about 40 days teaching about the kingdom of God and demonstrating his vitality as a resurrected person. And then he gives a mission to his disciples. He calls these, uh, the 11, the apostles together, and he says, you are going to be my witnesses. You are going to bear witness of who I am and what I've done to the world, starting in Jerusalem, going out to Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. But before you go, wait. Go back to Jerusalem and wait, because you need a power that's not within you. You need a power from outside of you. You need the power of God's Holy Spirit to empower you to, com- to accomplish this mission. So Jesus ascends back into heaven uh, to the right hand of the Father. The disciples, they go back to Jerusalem, and they wait, and they pray, and they worship. Ten days go by. And at the end of that ten days happens to be this feast uh, that the Jews celebrated called the, the Day of Pentecost, right, or the Feast of Weeks. It was a harvest festival. They would uh, celebrate the, the wheat harvest. So all the Jews are gathered in Jerusalem, and this is the moment when God decides that his spirit is going to fall on his disciples. So these 120 disciples are gathered together, maybe in the upper room, maybe in a, maybe in a corner of the, of the temple. We're not sure, but they're all together. The spirit falls on them. It sounds like a big wind filling the room. It's not wind, but it, but it sounds like it. Uh, what, what looked like little tongues of fire, flames of fire, fall in the room and land on every one of those 120 disciples, and they begin to proclaim the goodness of God in other known languages that they haven't studied. Well, this sound gathers a crowd, and so all these people, this, these hordes of people sort of gather around, and they begin, as they, as they approach the room, they're, they're hearing the mighty works of God testified to in their native languages. Remember, these people have come from all over the world back to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Weeks. And they're going, how is this possible? How is this even possible that I get to hear in my language the the, the works of God? And so Peter gets up and he begins to preach a sermon, first sermon recorded in the book of Acts. 
Uh, and last week we looked at just the introduction part. And, and what he said was, what you're seeing, what you're experiencing is not craziness. It, it's not that these guys are drunk, right? Because when has drunkenness ever led someone to talk better, right? Uh, and, and what's actually happening is the Spirit of God has come and the prophecy of Joel is being fulfilled. Joel was a minor prophet in the Old Testament. And he said, under the inspiration of God's Spirit, that when, when the last days came, that the Spirit would fall on all people. And they would all prophesy or speak the words of God to people. And, and Peter said, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. Now, today, we get into the rest of Peter's sermon, which is the first time that the gospel message is proclaimed by someone other than Jesus. It's pretty, like, I never thought about that before until I was sort of studying this week. But all through the gospels, the gospel is proclaimed, but it's Jesus proclaiming it. This is the disciples. This is Peter who always puts his foot in his mouth the first time the gospel is proclaimed outside of it being Jesus. And, and we're going to see what happens when the Spirit of God empowers our words. All right? So if you will follow along with me, I'm going to, I'm going to read the whole passage because I think it's worth doing. Uh, it gives you context for what's going on here. I'm going to start in verse 22, read down to verse 41. So we've got a bulk of text to cover. Uh, then I'll pray for us and we'll jump in here. Here's Peter's sermon. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. And you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence that the patriarch David, uh, of the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this which you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into, into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore uh, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. 
And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we are grateful to be able to gather together this morning. Grateful that we could go back to two gatherings, that as the vaccine is getting out and more people are feeling comfortable uh, coming back physically to church and gathering with brothers and sisters, uh, that, that we're able to make room for them and still maintain distance and still be careful, but be able to be together. And what a joy it is to be together. And yet, Lord, we realize that uh, as, as good as things are going in regards to COVID in our area, uh, around the world, it is still not great. It is still very bad. And not only that, uh, there, there is still a lot of darkness and pain in this world. We think back just to this week and the tragic deaths of uh, these police officers in Boone and uh, the, the, the death of um, civilians in, in other parts of our state at the hands of police. And, and Lord, we, we're confused by it and we are hurt by it and broken by it. And we cry out to you, Lord, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, make all things new. We long for the day when there is no more death, there is no more pain, there is no more crying, um, because you make all things new, and we are with you for eternity. And Lord, we, we, we long for that day, but in the meantime, will you give us hope, hope that will sustain us through dark days, hope that will allow us to share the beauty of the gospel with others, that they might know you and find hope in you as well. So, Lord, as we look at this passage today, this first gospel sermon, uh, would you not only preach to us, but, but empower us to, to preach and proclaim your truth to others. We want to live on mission with you for your glory and the good of others. And so help us, Lord, to do that. Help me, Holy Spirit, to preach this word clearly, concisely, humbly, boldly, truthfully, uh, all for your glory and for the blessing of these folks. We ask in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. So here's what strikes me about this passage. Um, Peter prior to Jesus's crucifixion, uh, always put his foot in his mouth, right? He wasn't afraid to speak, but he often misspoke, or he, he was just, um, his impetuousness would get the best of him. When Jesus is crucified, he's a coward, right? He's there watching Jesus uh, at his trial, and people ask him, are you associated with Jesus? And he says, no, three times. He denies it. He runs away uh, and, and crying, basically. And all of a sudden, now, after he's been restored to, to, to the resurrected Jesus, he's been empowered by the Holy Spirit, he is full of courage. He is emboldened. He actually has authority. And he gets up in front of this huge crowd who are wondering what's going on, mocking, thinking these guys are drunk because they're speaking in other languages. And he says, okay, listen up. I got something to say. And he just goes off and starts preaching. And I love his spirit-empowered proclamation. So if you're a note taker, the first point I want you to look at here in verses 22 to 24 is Peter's proclamation. Peter's proclamation. <clears throat> he says here, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you know, you saw this, you heard about it, you were there. This Jesus... Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. It was God's sovereign will that this happened. But then he says, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. 
Peter's proclamation. Peter clearly did not go to the Joel Osteen school of preaching because his first point is, you killed Jesus. Like, this is not a touchy-feely sermon. This is not one of those that you're like, God just wants to turn your frown upside down. He's like, you murdered the Savior. There's a weight to his words. There's a gravitas. There's a sobriety to his message when he says, listen, you got it wrong about Jesus. In fact, we all got it wrong about Jesus. Right? There, there were people who thought that Jesus was a prophet, but just a prophet. Right? He had good stuff to say. He was speaking for God, but no more. There were people, even among the disciples, who thought that Jesus was going to be a political hero. You remember, even after his resurrection, the disciples early in Acts 1 go, hey, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Like they thought it was just about Jesus letting Israel sort of uh, be its own entity again and, and have power. The religious leaders thought Jesus w- was empowered by Satan. <laughs> you remember Jesus is in the gospels, he's casting out demons and the religious authorities, they say he's only casting out demons by the power of demons. He's only casting out evil by the power of evil. They thought that, that he was uh, aligned with the enemy. Jesus' own family thought he was kind of off his rocker a little bit, Right? Here he is claiming all these things about himself and healing and doing these things. And, and, and his mother and his brothers, they come to get him because they're like, he's not well, we're going to take him home, right? Everybody was fuzzy on who Jesus was except one group of people. You know who it was? The demons. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, Jesus is preaching in the synagogue. So it's a sort of a similar setting to this. They're having church and a guy gets up in the crowd. He's oppressed by a demon and he says, I know who you are, Jesus, the Holy One of God. He knew exactly who Jesus was. And so Peter's like, let me, let me clarify who Jesus actually is, okay? He says, he lived. Jesus lived. He was a man. He was from Nazareth. You know that. But he was also proven, attested, verified by God as divine. He performed signs and wonders. He healed people. He he cast out demons. He raised the dead. He he fed thousands with a little boy's lunch. He preached with an authority like no one had ever seen before. He, He walked on water, right? Water skied without a boat. Like that's miraculous. And here's the thing. All of Jesus's miracles were not so much him demonstrating the supernatural as much as him demonstrating the kingdom of God on earth. Because you see, in the kingdom of God, there's no death, there's no pain, there's no hunger, there's no injustice. And so every one of those miracles was him kind of opening up the kingdom and bringing it to earth to demonstrate for people, this is what the kingdom is like. This is what the natural order of things is in the kingdom. So he lived. He claimed to be God. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, which is a very pointed remark, right? Because God said to Moses, I am who I am. And Jesus says, no, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus allowed people to worship him, and he didn't push them aside, right? He let them worship him. He said, I can forgive sins, That's what riled up the religious people because they were like, only God can forgive sins. And Jesus was like, I know, you're forgiven, (laughs) right? So he lived, but he also died. 
He wouldn't stop talking about the kingdom. He wouldn't stop performing miracles. He wouldn't stop proclaiming that he was the great I am, so they killed him. But Peter's very clear to help us see it wasn't just that they killed him. He says, you killed him. So some of us might go, okay, well, time out, time out. Okay, I get that there's 120, they're disciples, spirit-filled, this big crowd gathers, and then Peter says, you killed him? Like, there might have been people in that room or in that crowd who were there when Jesus was crucified, maybe even some of the religious leaders who, who, who convicted him, maybe some of the people in the crowd who chanted crucify him. But most of them were just bystanders. How, could, how are they responsible for the crucifixion? What does he mean when he says that they killed Jesus? He means the same thing. Like, to say that they killed Jesus is to say that we killed Jesus. When he says you, it includes us. It actually includes Peter. That every single one of us, by our sin and rebellion, plays a part in the death of Jesus. Um, so here's how I'll clarify that. In the Gospels, all the Gospels record the fact that Jesus was denied by Peter. That Peter three times denied that he even knew Jesus as he's watching this trial go on. But in the Gospel of Luke, we get a little bit more insight. In the Gospel of Luke, it's around chapter 22, Peter is watching Jesus on trial. He's already been beaten and bruised and he's bleeding and, and probably swollen and all that. And, uh, and Peter looks at him and the little girl asks him, the people ask him, do you know Jesus? You're associated with Jesus. No, no, no. And the third time, just as Jesus predicted, he denies him the third time the rooster crows, right? We know this, okay? So as the rooster's crowing, Luke says in his gospel that Jesus locks eyes on Peter. They make eye contact. Peter looks at the beaten, bloodied, bruised face of Jesus, and Jesus looks directly into Peter's soul. And it's in that moment that Peter knows that it's his denial of Jesus that led him to the cross. It's his abandonment of Jesus. It's his betrayal of Jesus that led Jesus to that cross. And every single one of us has a Peter moment. The Bible says that, that the wages of sin is death. Sin being our rebellion against a holy God. Sin being our desire to be our own authority. Sin being our obliviousness to who God even is. And living life for ourselves, all about ourselves. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the Bible also says that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions, for our sins. So, so he, was, he was crucified. He was murdered. He was wounded for our rebellion, for our stubborn refusal to relent to the authority of God in our lives, for our obliviousness to who God is, for our self-focus, and, and all the ways that we continue to live oblivious to who God is. When we become Christians, what happens is that the Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see that it's our sin that held him on the tree. We'll sing this in a little while. Uh, that song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Pay attention when we sing it to that second uh, verse. Because it says this, Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. 
I know that it is finished. Amen. Jesus lived, Jesus died, but then he says Jesus lived again. Right? This Jesus, he says, God raised him from the dead. Death is the greatest power in the world. Now, I know over the last year, we've all been very concerned and worried and careful because of COVID, um, but I want you to know something. COVID cannot increase the death rate. It can speed it up, but it can't increase it because right now and since the beginning of time, the death rate has been universally 100%. Disease, violence cannot increase the death rate. It only speeds it up. Now, we should be concerned about that, okay? But death is the greatest power in the world, and nothing can overcome it. Everyone is its victim. No one escapes death except one did. Jesus walked out of the grave. And Romans 4 tells us, Paul in Romans 4 says that Jesus was lifted up onto the cross for our transgressions, but that he was raised from the dead for our justification. What does that mean? Uh, for, especially in the original language, but even now, like when we say for, sometimes we mean because of. And that's what the original language means there. When it says he was lifted up for our transgressions, it's because of our transgressions. Because of our sin, Jesus went to the cross. And because of our justification, Jesus was released from death. Here's what that means. When Jesus died as a substitute for our sins in our place, he paid in full the penalty that we owe. He paid the debt in full. And how many of you know that if you have a debt and it gets paid in full, the debt collector can't call you anymore? If your mortgage gets paid off, your home can't get repossessed because they own it not. You own it, and they can't take it from you, right? Uh, 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 Someone who gets convicted of a crime and sentenced to prison, once they have paid the penalty, once they have served their time, what does the prison do? Release them. They can't hold them any longer because their sentence has been fulfilled. So when Jesus died in our place... He took all the wrath of God for all of our sin and he absorbed it all and he paid the debt in full to the degree that death had nothing to hold him with. The word used here, um, pangs, the pangs of death. We don't use the word pangs anymore, but here it has to do with sharp labor pains. So Peter's painting the picture here that death is in labor. And how many know that when you're in labor, that baby's coming, you can't stop it. And that's what's happening. Death, as it were, was, was in labor and could not hold back the, the birthing of Christ, if you will, from the grave. The grave had to open up and had to release him because it had nothing against him to hold him because he paid it in full. Everything else that Peter is going to talk about in the rest of this sermon is in light of the resurrection. These, these few verses here, 22 to 24, He he mentions the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, everything else comes in light of that. I wonder this morning, do you see that it's your sin that held him there? Your rebellion, your obliviousness. We all play a part in this. But he died 
and he rose. Now, second thing I want you to see here, and I'll move quickly, is God's promise. So we saw Peter's proclamation. Now I want you to see God's promise. I'm not going to read all of it, but it starts in verse 25 and goes down to verse 36. <coughs> Excuse me. He's, he's quoting here from uh, Psalm 16. David's, uh, David has written this psalm, and Peter, by memory, this is important, right? The Holy Spirit has already given him the, the, the recall of the prophet Joel. He quoted five verses from Joel. You remember, at this time, they didn't have copies of the Bible with them. There was a scroll in the temple or in the, the, uh, the synagogue that they could reference, but they didn't have their own copies. And so by memory, Peter now is going to quote from Psalm 16. And he says this, For David says concerning him, this is verse 25, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also would dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, it's the place of the dead, or let your Holy One see corruption. I'll just stop there. He goes on to continue that, but but here's what I want you to see. God's promise. Um, David was given this promise by the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, People thought David was referencing himself because, see, God had told him, this is back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God had said through the prophet Nathan, uh, your throne will be eternal. In other words, through your family line, there will always be someone on the throne to rule. And a lot of people thought maybe David was going to be eternal, like he would die and maybe come back, or at least through his family line, there would always be someone on the throne of Israel who was in the line of David. But it was mysterious. People didn't really know what it meant. It was kind of confusing uh, because David died. And this is the reality, right? Everybody knew David was dead. David was buried. You could go to David's grave. And you know what you'd find in it? David's bones. So it's very confusing. What does all this mean? Well, Peter says, well, David was talking about Jesus. David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, prophesied about the coming of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus because, see, David was also a prophet. And so under the influence of the Spirit, he wrote out Psalm 16, but it's ultimately about Jesus. Yes, Jesus died on the cross. But God did not abandon Jesus to the place of the dead. He did not abandon Jesus to to Hades, nor did he let Jesus' flesh decompose. He raised him back to life. And I love this. Peter, Peter goes, look, God raised him, and we all saw it. We spent 40 days with him. He taught us about the kingdom. He, 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 he made us breakfast for crying out loud. Like, we spent time with him. We saw him. We know him. And he says, and we are all witnesses of that fact. We are all witnesses, which tells you something. This is not their opinions. This is not their perspective. This is not their speculation. These are the facts of the case. Now, I know it's not this way anymore, and I'm going to sound like a real old-timer. I'm 40, for crying out loud. But in the old days, I know, I'm getting up there. Don't let the gray hair fool you. In the old days, there used to be a difference between facts and opinion. (laughs) When you would turn on the news, you got facts, not opinion. It's not that way anymore. And I know you think your news source is the right one that gives you the facts. I'm telling you, their facts contradicts everybody else's facts, and so all of you are wrong, okay? Everyone gives opinions these days. But there's a difference between fact and opinion. If somebody busted in this door right now and said, there's a tornado coming, and, and they were actually 
right about it and it was true, that's a fact, right? You're not going to go, that's an interesting perspective. You have a choice to believe that their, their statement or not. You can heed their warning and get shelter, or you cannot and die. But the facts are the facts, right? And that's what Peter is doing here. God raised him from the dead. We saw him. We spent time with him. He made us fish for breakfast. We had a meal with him. These are the facts of the case, and we are bearing witness to these facts. Which means... If Jesus is raised from the dead, what we think about him is far less important than actually who he is. If Jesus is resurrected, our opinions and our perspectives about Jesus don't really matter as much as who is Jesus really. So Peter's like, we can go to David's grave, and we can go to Jesus' grave. But you know what's at Jesus' grave? Nothing, because he ain't there. Now, the last to believe in a resurrection would have been the Jews. Some people think, well, these primitive people back then, like they all believed in crazy stuff, but us modern people, we're not going to believe that. But no, the, the, of all the people in the ancient Roman world, the Jews were the last who would have believed in a resurrection. Half the Jews didn't even believe such a thing as resurrection existed. Like it wasn't a thing. You'll see that between Pharisees and Sadducees a lot uh, in the Gospels. But not only that... The Jews believed in a Messiah, but he was a conquering Messiah. He was a victorious Messiah. He wasn't a Messiah that would die, right? We believe in winners. And so to have a Messiah who was killed did not compute. On top of the fact that he was raised from the dead, like, get out of here with this mess. This, this doesn't make any sense. And yet, at the same time, they could not deny what had happened. Jesus was crucified. Three days later, no one could find his body. And all of a sudden, these people who ran away and abandoned Jesus and, and, and denied knowing him and, and scattered are empowered and are now proclaiming at great risk to themselves that Jesus is alive and well and wants to save them. Like they couldn't deny that reality. So Peter's like, look, we saw him ascend and now he's exalted. And then he gets into, uh, you can read it later, uh, he quotes from Psalm 110. Uh, this is in verses 34 and 35. That's a quote from Psalm 110. He says, Jesus promised us this power from the Holy Spirit, and that's what you're seeing. Hearing the testimony of God in your language and, and, and having me get up and proclaim this truth to you, like this is the power of God at work. This is his spirit at work. Now, it's important that he mentions the exaltation because here's, here's what he's trying to say here. Jesus is now risen and exalted. He's at the right hand of the Father. If he wasn't resurrected, he couldn't be exalted. And if he wasn't exalted, he wouldn't have authority to send the Spirit. And if he didn't send the Spirit, then what we're experiencing is, is not that. But because we are experiencing the power of the Spirit, that testifies that he is exalted and does have the authority to send the Spirit. And if he's exalted, that means he's resurrected. See, he's, he's putting a logical argument together here. So he concludes like this. He says, get this straight. This is uh, verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain... That God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Jesus in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection was confirmed as, by God as both Christ, as both Lord and Christ. What does that mean? Lord means ruler, sovereign, authority. Christ meaning anointed one, savior, deliverer. 
He is both. He is both master and Messiah. So that we don't just acknowledge that he fulfilled some prophecies. Like a lot of people want to reinterpret the facts of who Jesus is and what Jesus did and go, well, I mean, maybe he fulfilled some prophecies, but he's not really someone to worship. And, and you can't look at the facts and come to any other conclusion than that he is someone to worship, okay? So he's, he's saying, look, you got to get your facts straight here and, and, and put your mind on this. He is both Lord and Christ. He is both master and Messiah. And Paul in Philippians, as he's talking about Jesus, he says he was God, right, who, who, who took on human flesh, and he was obedient to, to God, the Father, to the point of death, for us. But then he says this in Philippians 2.9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and on, uh, on, it, sorry, on earth and under the earth and in heaven and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's what he's saying. P uh, Paul helping him here. Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, Jesus is exalted, he sent the Spirit, that's what you're seeing here. And because he's the, exalt, he's the exalted Savior and Lord at the right hand of the Father, you better do some business with him right now. Because one day every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. And you can either bow your knee now and confess with your tongue now that Jesus is Lord and Christ, or you will at some point bow your knee and confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord and Christ, but it won't go so well for you then as it can go now. Have you, brothers and sisters, surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ? Do you worship him as both Lord and Christ? So many people who kind of grow up in the church, we understand Jesus as Savior, but we never quite surrender our lives to him. And, and it's been said, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. We don't get to pick, he's my Savior, but not my Lord. He, if he's not your Lord, he's not your Savior. Full surrender. I surrender all. Everything belongs to him. My life is his. He gets to call the shots on my life. All of it, every bit of it, because he is Christ. He is Lord. He is Savior. He is King. So now we see, you guys hanging in? You with me? All right. Real quiet. How do the people respond? People's response. Look at verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise, the promise is for who? You. What did he say about these people? You killed Jesus. <laughs> you put him on that cross, and yet this promise, this promise of salvation and life and the power of the Spirit is for you. And not only is it for you, it's for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. We'll stop there. The people's response, at Peter's words, these, these many in the crowd are cut to the heart. It means they're convicted. 
Now, the best example I can give you of conviction uh, is that moment when you see blue lights in the mirror and your heart sinks. Yes? <laughs> and what's the question? Not, why am I being pulled over, but how bad is this going to be? Because you know you're guilty, right? You know. And so you see those blue lights, you see the car approaching, and you're like, oh, man, right? And you, you just feel that pit in your stomach. That's conviction because you know you're busted. That was these people. What, what began to happen was that the gospel of Christ, this message of Jesus, was not just true to them, it was real to their hearts. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes the gospel and he makes us think, maybe this all could be real. And man, if this is all real, like, what does that mean for me? Because, because before this time, I had no idea. I had no clue that Jesus was who the Bible says he is. I had no clue that Jesus lived this perfect, sinless life for me. I had no idea that Jesus died this brutal death in my place for my sins, or that he rose from the grave, or that he commands me to repent and believe in him. I, I didn't know. Or I did know, and I just didn't want part of it. If, if this is real, how can I keep living for myself? If this is real, how, how can I keep going on ignoring God in my life? That's what these people, that's where they come to. And so what do they say? What shall we do? How do we respond to this news? See, it's not just advice, it's news. It's not just opinions, it's facts. But how do we respond to it? Peter says, repent. Repent actually literally means to change your mind. So he's going, hey, all you people who didn't believe in Jesus, change your mind about Jesus. Like, believe in him. Okay, but it means more than that. It means to turn to him, to turn away from Sin, self, destruction, rebellion, obliviousness, and to turn to Jesus, to turn to him in worship and surrender, to turn to Jesus alone, to trust in him alone. Uh, C.S. Lewis once said this, he said, um, we don't come to God as bad people trying to become good people. We come to God as rebels laying down our weapons. That's repentance, Right? So repent. Some of you need to do that today. All of us need to do that, right? We never stop needing to repent. Some of us, maybe for the first time, will repent and trust in Jesus and come into the kingdom. All of us have ways that we have totally missed the boat this week. We need to repent, change our mind about Jesus, turn back to him. Repent, he says, be baptized. Now, this was massive for the Jews because Baptism was primarily for Gentile believers who wanted to become Jews. So now he's saying, okay, you Jews need to be baptized and associate yourself with Jesus. This is a, a radical shift of allegiance, right? This is a sign of the forgiveness that you are experiencing in Jesus, and you need to come onto his team, which means you need to go under this water, identifying with his death, come up out of it, identifying with his resurrection, and you need to be on team Jesus. And if you will do that, if you will repent, and if you will uh, be baptized, he says, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll be sealed permanently, indwelt with the Spirit of God as a, as a sign that you belong to him. And the Spirit will empower you to, to follow Jesus, to obey Jesus, to listen to Jesus, to live a life that's pleasing to Jesus. And so this promise, he says, this promise of salvation and life and power of the Spirit, it's for you. It's for you and you and you and you and you and you and even for me. You, even you who were responsible for the death of Jesus, you, even you who have ignored Jesus your entire life, this promise is for you. There's two things you got to see here about the cross. They go together. 
One I've already talked about briefly, and it's this. Our sin did the cross to Jesus. Like our sin put Jesus on the cross. Like we talked about that a little bit, right? When you see Jesus dying on the cross, it tells us that we are far more sinful than we would ever want to admit. Because our sin is a big deal. It's so big, the only way to pay for it was to send Jesus, and he had to die in our place. We are more sinful, more rebellious, more oblivious, more ignorant, more, more rebellious than we'd ever want to admit. But at, that's not all you can see at the cross, okay? The other thing you have to see at the cross is that he did it to save us. He went there willingly to save us. Like when you see Jesus dying on the cross, that tells you you are far more loved than you could ever possibly hope for. Jesus went to the cross for you and he stayed there. And he, and he, and he took the wrath of God and, and he took it in full. He drank the cup of judgment to the dregs for you so that you could be forgiven and, and cleaned and restored and not only like verdict, declared not guilty, but welcomed into the family of God. And so Peter continues to preach, and the, the Bible says he, he says a whole lot of other things which are not recorded, but he does say this, save yourselves from this crooked generation. The message paraphrase of the Bible puts that this way, get out while you can, get out of this sick and stupid culture. <laughs> Everyone else missed Jesus. Everyone else disregarded Jesus. No one believed in him. No one wanted him. Don't be like everybody else. <laughs> Get out of this sick and stupid culture and surrender your life to Jesus. And what happens? Verse 41, those who received his word, that means they believed this message that, that Peter preached, were baptized. So they repented of their sins. They were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That is a lot of baptisms. Um, I praise God for the seven baptisms we got to uh, have last Sunday, but you 3,000. I don't, I don't know how that works. I don't know how long it takes. I'll, even if all 120 disciples were involved, that's like 25 apiece. <laughs> that's a long time. I mean, everyone's going to have like huge biceps by the end of that baptism service. But this is what it tells me. Remember, I said at the very beginning of the sermon, Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, was what kind of celebration? It was a harvest festival, wasn't it? Remember in Matthew 9 when Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few? This is it. This is the heart, like this is the beginning of the harvest. The fields are white unto harvest, and that's demonstrating the fact that these 3,000 people, there's probably more in the crowd, but to have a response of 3,000 uh, is, is amazing. The harvest is plentiful. Brothers and sisters, this is what happens when the power of God is unleashed through his people, the church. This fledgling movement called the church is off and running. This thing that Jesus sort of spent three years cultivating and, and, and plowing and planting and watering, now that he's departed and he sends the Spirit, he breathes on it, and, and, and it's starting to flourish and come to life and bear fruit. And the nations were gathered from around the world in Jerusalem. They heard that message. Now Acts 1-8 is starting to be fulfilled within the first chapter at the ends of the earth are hearing the gospel and they're going to go back on mission for Jesus. 
And listen, nothing has ever stopped God's church and nothing will ever stop God's church. Jesus even declares that the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against the church. Now, so many times people read that verse and they they think of it like the gates of hell are coming at us. But when have you ever seen a gate on offense? It's defensive. The gates are closed and locked and the church is charging hell to, to rescue people out of it to proclaim the good news so that they might have life and not death, and nothing will ever be able to stop God's church. And the same spirit, the same spirit that empowered Peter to preach this message that 3,000 people got saved, that same spirit is alive in each one of you who are surrendered to the lordship of Jesus. What does he want to do through you? What does he want to do through us? for the glory of God and for the good of this city and beyond. What could happen if we would give ourselves over to him and let his spirit and his word flow through us to the ends of the earth? I don't have questions this morning. I'm going to come to a little bit of an abrupt end here. Next week, we're going to see what happens when these people get into church setting. It's awesome. Uh, So let me pray for you. I just want to give you a minute to sit in silence, and, and, um, and the band will come back up, and they'll lead us in song in a minute. But I want to give you just a moment to contemplate, to think through uh, what you've heard, to reflect on what maybe God's Spirit spoke to you during this message. But let me pray, uh, and then uh, we'll, we'll close up in, in some worship through song. Father, I thank you for these men and women. I thank you for the ability, uh, Lord, to gather together this morning uh, online and in person here, and to open your word and to have you show us marvelous things in it. I pray, Lord, now that you would just, that you would awaken us, that you would revive us, that you would show us that, yes, this same spirit that empowered Peter to preach this message, this same spirit that rose Christ from the dead is alive in us. And give us a sensitivity, Lord, to, 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 to follow the leading of your spirit, to open our mouths when given the opportunity to proclaim uh, the goodness of God in the gospel, to, to love and serve our neighbors, uh, to, to be peacemakers in this world. Empower us to be salt and light in a place that so desperately needs it. And Lord, we know we'll take some licks, we'll we'll have opposition, uh, but we know the gates of hell cannot stand against your church. And so help us be the church on the offense, not fighting for our rights, not not arguing and bickering and fighting uh, for the right to do this or that, but, but to love well, to love well. Help us, Lord, as we respond now in song. um, Lord, would you just be very present with us and minister to us as we sing these praises to you. We ask in the beautiful name of Jesus and by the power of your spirit. Amen.